You are listening to a Sunday sermon from St. Thomas Episcopal Church in Bellevue, Washington. We are a community that seeks God's presence, serves Christ and others, and grows together in faith. Welcome to our podcast. The following sermon was preached on the seventh Sunday after Pentecost, July 19, 2020, by the Reverend Lex Breckenridge, rector at St. Thomas. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Christ. Jesus put before the crowd another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. The slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. Weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the, as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Let anyone with ears listen. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord. It'll be 40 years ago in September that our first child was born. It's an event, of course, I'll never forget. Uh, we prepared for the birth of that first child by doing something called uh, Lamaze classes. Uh, you may be aware of this. They're breathing exercises that, um, that the, the expectant mother uh, engages as, as a way of, of uh, hastening the, uh, the, the birth of the child and as a way of managing the, the contractions and managing the pain. And, and it's always helpful to have a partner to... Uh, to do this practice with, I was the I was that partner, and we went to lots of classes where we learned these breathing techniques. And I would say, no, just just breathe, breathe through the contraction, breathe through the contraction. And uh, we, well, we thought this was going to be uh, just fine and just a, a, a great way to uh, to bring this new life into the world. Well, the day finally came, and early one morning, uh, Zani's labor began. 
And uh, she was admitted to the hospital, and I came to join her, and we practiced these breathing techniques and practiced these breathing techniques all through the morning, into the afternoon, into the evening, past midnight, breathing, breathing, breathing. The contractions came, but they didn't seem to be getting any closer together, and still we were breathing. And, and finally, at about 2 in the morning, I said, Okay, here comes a contract. Just breathe through it. And she looked at me with this look in her eyes of desperation. And she said, if you tell me to breathe one more time, I'll strangle you. <laughs> Fortunately, a few minutes after that, the uh, obstetrician showed up. And the obstetrician uh, did what obstetricians do. And uh, it was now time for baby to come. And so I had the privilege of joining uh, Zani in the delivery and yes, that delivery was, was, was long, it was hard, it was, there, there was a, a great deal of pain and suffering, and yet at the end, this new amazing life emerged. And I'll never forget the look on Zani's face as, as baby Alexander uh, came out of the womb and was placed in her arms. She was exhausted, she, she was perspiring, she was covered with sweat, but there was this look of, of incredible joy on her face. Um, and it was the look of love. It reminded me, I heard the other day um, of someone say that, um, that um, when she was first presented with her first baby, she realized that she loved this new baby more than evolution demands. You see what she means? You see what she means by that? I mean, we're, we're, we're often uh, told that we are just nothing but chemical soup uh, and, that, and that we, um, we, we um, reproduce, we procreate because we have this innate biological urge to propagate the species. Well, that, that was certainly, uh, the lie was given to that that morning 40 years ago when I saw the look on Zani's face and I know I was feeling it myself and I just love the way that, uh, that this person put it the other day, that she loved her baby more than evolution demands. We are more than chemical soup. We are made in love. We are made in love and we are made to love. We are made, in fact, in love's image. And I think this is one of the things that Paul is getting at uh, in this eighth chapter of the letter to the Romans. For this last, these last two weeks, we've been reflecting on uh, what I think is, is the heart of Paul's most brilliant theological exposition, chapter 7 and 8 of the letter to the Romans. And you remember two weeks ago, we heard Paul describe the human dilemma, uh, this, this, this idea that we, we know as human beings what we ought to do. And God has given us the law to, to show us what we ought to do. We know what we ought to do, but we can't do it. And, and he says the very things we want to do, we can't do. And the very things we don't want to do are what we do. And this is the bind of the human dilemma. And he says, well, wretched man that I am, what help is there for me except in Christ Jesus? And then last week we began to unpack what that means. That it's, it's, it's the grace of life in Christ, in Christo, that phrase that Paul uses uh, over 90 times in his letter. When we recognize that we are in Christ, 
that we have this uh, natural, innate, indwelling grace, uh, then we can begin to live fully as we are intended to live by God. And so now this morning we hear this, uh, uh, this explication of what all this really means. And, and, and Paul uses these images of, of parenthood and childhood and adoption and labor uh, to tell us what it really means to be in Christ. Because he says, first, first, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That's who we are. We are children of God. And that takes us back to these first two creation stories in the book of Genesis, where it's said that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And it's also said that we are made to be stewards of the world that God has created for us. We'll say more about that in just a minute. And Paul says, you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but a spirit of adoption. So we have this wonderful uh, spirit of adoption. And, and he says, and when we cry, Abba, Father, Abba, remember, is that, is that word that Jesus used uh, to, to describe his own relationship with his father. It's, this, it's a, a, a relationship of intimacy and warmth. And so we are invited to, uh, to do likewise. To address God as our Abba, as our Daddy. And it's that, he says, that very spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children, and if we are children of God, then we are heirs, and if heirs, we are joint heirs with Christ. And if in fact we suffer with Him so that we may be glorified with Him. So let's, let's hold that thought for just a second. So we are joint heirs with Christ, so Christ becomes the pattern for our lives. And we, uh, we, can, we can reflect on what that means. Uh, the, the, and think about the, the pattern of Christ's own life. What Christ did in his own life becomes the pattern for our own lives. You know, Christ, uh, he loved, he forgave, he taught, he healed, he reconciled, he drew people into community, he took the, those on the margins and brought them to the head of the table, and he invited those, the arrogant and the powerful, those who sat at the, at the head of the table, to go down and sit at the foot of the table for a while, so that they might learn some vulnerability and humility. And of course, for that, he was uh, punished uh, abused by, by the religious authorities and by the political authorities because he was a threat to their power. Uh, he was abused and finally killed, of course. But then, in this, in this wonderful pattern of, of, of crucifixion and resurrection, that turns out not to be the end of the story, through the, through the power of God, through the Spirit of God, he's resurrected. New life begins. There we are. See, that's the pattern for our own lives as well. And so Paul says... I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed of us. Let's bring that into the here and now, friends. We are all suffering. Yes, we are. Let's, let's not make any bones about that. We are all suffering. Creation is suffering. This, this pandemic uh, that's, that's uh, um, engulfed the whole world is a mark of, of the suffering of creation. But Paul says that this is uh, not, not uh, worth comparing with the glory that's about to be revealed to us because what does this suffering mean? Well, let's go, go back to uh, this image of childbirth. That's why I went on and on about this at the, uh, just a few minutes ago. We know that, that, that 
for new life to be brought forth, for new life to begin, there is a time of suffering, of transformation. Um, as Paul says, we know the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. I love that image. Creation is groaning in labor until something new to be born can be born, awaiting this new thing uh, that's, that's, that's about to emerge. And we are, are part of that groaning. We are part of the labor pains of something new that's about to be born. And, and it means it's not just for us, uh, Paul says. It's certainly not just for, for Christians. And it's certainly not just for human beings. It's for all of creation. And we are called, we are the fulfillment, uh, we human beings, uh, Paul says, have the first fruits of the Spirit, and we groan inwardly while we're waiting for this adoption, this redemption of our bodies. Because we are the ones uh, who, who are, as we reflect back on that, uh, uh, that, that first uh, creation story, we're made to be stewards of creation. You know, this is the fulfillment of that, that first promise that we, as we are as we are part of this transformation, you know, we are coming into our, our own, our, our, our purpose is being fulfilled. To be the, the, the stewards of this new world that's being born. We are, we are an innate part of this new creation that's, uh, uh, that's, that's coming to bear. So, it all involves suffering, just like a mother bringing forth a, a new life. There is suffering involved. Yet, Paul says, we, we, we just have to sit in that. We have to sit in the middle of that. Uh, <laughs> just like the old, uh, the old Lamaze method, we have to learn how to breathe through the contractions, breathe through the pain. And what does this call us to? It calls us to prayer, of course. It calls us to the, the, the prayer that produces patience, Prayer that produces hope. So we're called in this in this time of, of anxiousness, this time of worry, this time of, of, of great uh, concern. We're called to, to patience, which produces hope. And Paul concludes by saying, for it's in hope we're saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. In other words, if, if, if we knew how the movie was going to end, why would we bother to hope? We already know what's going to happen, but we don't know how the movie's going to end. I mean, we know, it's, we, we know that it will end in, in some kind of glory, but we don't know what that's going to look like yet. And so we, we wait with patience. But if we hope for what we do not see, he says, we wait for it with patience. So, there we are, my friends. This morning, we are called to be, uh, understand our role uh, as, as a kind of a Lamaze partner. And we are partnering uh, with, with all of creation. We're partnering with God in bringing forth this, this new creation that's, that's uh, unfolding. Something new is happening, and we are part of it. And yes, it's going to be painful. And yes, there'll be um, 
worries and anxieties along the way. But if we can sit in patience, if we can sit with hope, that then, then, then we can be full participants in that. And, you know, I, I want to reflect now for a moment on a, a great example of, of patience and hope, great example in a life that, that uh, we just uh, sadly lost on Friday night, the life of the, of the great John Lewis. Uh, this is a man who, from his earliest days, uh, had, a, had a, a, a beautiful theological vision of hope and redemption. He, a man who, who uh, grew up in the, in, in, the, in the 50s at a time of, of Jim Crow segregation in Alabama where he was, uh, where he was from. A time where he was, he was uh, one of those outcasts, one of those on the margins. Uh, one of those who was um, uh, so uh, tragically uh, made to, to feel as, as if he were less than somehow. And that's what, that's what we as a culture did to, to our uh, African-American, our black sisters and brothers. And we, we, we've done it for 400 years. We've done it since they, they, were, they were brought to this continent as enslaved people. Uh, yet, yet, yet people like John Lewis uh, refused to, to give in to, um, to, to that oppression. And uh, Martin Luther King uh, used to tell a, this wonderful story about uh, the 17-year-old John Lewis uh, having the courage to, to write him a letter and ask for an appointment because John Lewis uh, wanted to go to Troy State University in Alabama, which was just, as he said, it's only 10 miles from my home, but I, I, I can't be admitted there. And so it helped me to know what to do. This is in the, this is in the 50s, the late 50s. And so he, this is the first time he met Dr. King, and they formed this uh, amazing relationship, and so from a very early age, uh, in, in his early 20s, John Lewis became one of the leaders of the Civil Rights Movement. And what was that Civil Rights Movement? How, what was it grounded in? It was grounded in the Exodus story. It was grounded in this beautiful narrative of faith. Uh, Dr. King, uh, uh, Ralph Abernathy, uh, Joseph Lowry, um, all, all of these, these were ministers of the gospel. And they, were all, they grounded this movement in the Exodus story, just going, going back to our reading this morning. You know, Paul's saying we, we, we're, we're enslaved. We've been enslaved to sin, but God is delivering us from that enslavement. And, and that's the hope, that's the promise that these great civil rights leaders had. And of course, John Lewis uh, was one of, the, one of the six leaders of this movement who, who organized uh, the, the, um, the March on Washington in 1963 that culminated in, in Dr. King's amazing I Have a Dream speech. And John Lewis, here's what I want to say, John Lewis carried that dream, he carried that promise, he carried that hope throughout his entire career. He lived it, he was a living symbol of hope. And so I want, to, I want to celebrate his life. I want us to all celebrate that life uh, and, and, and recognize in his life uh, that, that we, see, we see the promise uh, that, that, that uh, God in Christ has for all of us. But he, he waited with patience. He waited with patience. He, he, if, you, if you got the, the note I sent out yesterday, 
I'm attached to this, this amazing image of, uh, of Ralph Abernathy as a, as a man in his mid-twenties being beaten by an Alabama state trooper uh, at the end of, of the march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama in 1965. Uh, beaten by the authorities, persecuted by the authorities, but, not, but, but offering no physical resistance. I mean, the courage that, that John Lewis and, and his colleagues show uh, in, uh, like Jesus, was the courage of Jesus in, in standing up to that, that oppression, in standing up to that violence without returning uh, violence for violence. Uh, just, just remarkable. <clears throat> it had to be grounded in hope. And so as we celebrate the life of John Lewis, remember the life of John Lewis, use his life as an example for our own lives. Uh, let's also reflect on, on Christ as the pattern for our lives. To lead a Christ-like life, which I'm going to be bold enough to suggest that John Lewis did, although I think he, he, would, be, he would reject that because he was a man, of course, of great humility. But I want to say that I think he led a Christ-like life. Uh, and, that, and that's the life that we're called to lead. And, and to, to wait with patience in the hope that this new world that's being born uh, is, is unfolding before us, that we are part of this, and uh, that, the, that the promises that God made to Abraham, uh, that he would be a blessing to all the peoples of all the world, and the promises that are being made to us today, that we too will be a blessing to all the peoples of the world. Amen. For more information about St. Thomas Episcopal Church, please visit our website www.stthomasmedina.org. That's a www.stthomasmedina.org.